Hi, you're listening to another message from Sunny Hill Church. Our prayer is that these messages encourage, empower, edify, and equip you to live for Christ in 2023. Be blessed as you listen in. Uh, this morning, I, I want to speak about a subject. Um, I want to speak about disruption. And I want to speak about this idea about embracing the power of disruption in your life. What does that look like? And I actually believe that, that God has already been disrupting things this morning. Um, and by, I actually deliberately want to use this word disruption and not interrupt. Because I actually believe that God just doesn't interrupt us in terms of just stop us in our tracks and give us a kind of a thought. He does do that sometimes. But I actually think that God has the power to disrupt us. That actually, that not only just stops us in our tracks and in our thinking, but then it changes, as Colin's already been sharing, then it changes the atmosphere and the environment that we find ourselves in. And so um, I want to encourage you just to uh, track with me this morning about this idea about embracing the power of disruption in your life. Uh, we have uh, two children, uh, my wife and Sophie. Uh, my wife and Sophie? <laughs> not plural. Just me and Sophie. Yeah. It is just me and Sophie. Um, we don't believe in polygamy in this church. Um, me and Sophie have two children, Liberty and Levi. Uh, and uh, Liberty uh, turned three this week. Yeah, we went to... Um, we had a birthday party last weekend, and it was chaos. Like, I had to, like, mentally, like, prepare myself to, before going in. Like, it's just straight three hours of screaming children. Like, have fun, everyone. Like, enjoy the birthday parties, like, uh, that we've got ahead. But, um, but Liberty's at that age, right, where she's three years old, and she is, like, so disruptive. She actually can't help herself. It's second nature. Like, the, like I, I, I actually wonder whether she tries sometimes or whether she is just, like, constantly, like, just, like, that's who she is. She just disrupts the room. So I'll give you an example of this. Um, me and Levi will be chilling out watching TV. I'll be giving him his milk or, you know, uh, we'll be, you know, just, um, just sitting there nicely, comfortably. Liberty slams through the door, okay, and as soon as she walks in, she changes the whole room because she looks at me and Levi and she goes, Levi, damn floor, now. <laughs> I don't know who she gets the, um, the attitude from. Yeah. I'm not sure which one of us. Um, but um, she literally, I'm not joking you, she'll come up and she'll literally clap her hands in our face and she'll go, Levi Floor, my turn now. Sass. Yeah, I know. The level of sass is, it, honestly, me and Levi look at each other and we're like, <laughs> Levi's like, just do it, mate. Just, just do it. And... Um, she can't help herself. If she doesn't like food, she doesn't tell you she doesn't like it. She, she spits it into her hand and she goes, mm. <laughs> if, um, oh, this is a, a one that she, she loves dancing, okay? And so um, if you've ever been to a house, you'll probably know this. But if she's dancing, you better believe that you are going to be dancing as well. <laughs> like, it's unacceptable to her. If you're in the room with her and she's dancing, like, she will give you eyes that will go... <coughs> Like this, it's your turn now. I'm dancing, you dance. Like, it's, like she just cannot help herself. But when she walks into the room, she disrupts the room. Like naturally, it's like second nature to her. And um, 
And I actually believe that but part of being a disciple of Jesus is to be a little bit disruptive. I actually, um, I, I think there are significant moments in the Bible where, um, where God uses individuals to bring about a divine disruption. Uh, an example of this, and one of the most famous uh, stories in the Bible, is the underdog story of David and Goliath. And uh, what you've got in this story, if, you, if you're not familiar, it's um, a weedy shepherd boy rocks up to the battlefield. And as he rocks up, he's carrying bread and cheese. And, uh, and there's a whole culture within the environment that he finds himself of fear, like real fear. And insecurity. And the reason why there's fear and insecurity is because the, the guy Goliath, the giant, he's, he's quite literally hurling insults at them every single day. He's belittling them. And what's amazing, I love this story so much because David rocks up and he just, he just finds it really unacceptable. <laughs> like this weedy shepherd kid. Like, and they're almost like, what? You, like, what are you chatting about? Like, and he's like, no. Who is this guy that thinks that he's bigger than our God? And like, I just love the level of like disruption. David then steps up. He goes, I'll face the giant. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I'll face the giant. So then they end up trying to put on armor on David. Doesn't fit him. He disrupts further and he's like, no, I'm not going to do it this way. I'm going to do it my way. Goes out onto the battlefield and he speaks to the giant. And uh, the giant, you know, he's laughing at this, like, prony. He calls David like a little dog. And David says, you come at me with sword and spear and dagger, and I come at you in the name. I come at you in the name of the Lord. So he disrupts. And then what happens, I love it, is because then he defeats the giant. Amazing. Woo, yeah! And uh, he... Then as a result, all the Philistines, the, the, the army that they're against, they then run away in fear... And the culture is changed within God's people. They then run after them. Why? Because a divine disruption took place in David where he said, this is unacceptable. And he said, I'm not going to stand for this. He disrupted the environment. He disrupted the atmosphere. And we read it through scriptures time and time again um, of people like having these divine disruption moments. Divine acts of disruption. Uh, another example of this is Jonathan and his armor bearer. If you know the story, it's two guys that end up fighting loads of people. And as a result, God then sends an earthquake. And it changes the whole culture. The Bible says the whole culture of fear changed in that moment because of the disruption. Samuel at Jesse's house. I love this story because the very fact that Samuel was the guy who kind of like recognized David as the next king... We spoke about King David. Samuel rocks up to Jesse's house, ready to anoint a new king, okay? Just quickly, that in of itself was significantly disruptive because there was already a king. So the very fact that this prophet is rocking up and saying, we're looking for a new king, it's disrupting everything. And so he rocks up and then, and then Jesse kind of like presents his sons to him, each one at a time. And I love it because Jesse, uh, not Jesse, Samuel, he kind of like, he goes in knowing he's carrying something in God and he thinks, we're not looking for the same as what we had before. So he's disruptive. And, um, and basically, can you just imagine for me the moment where like, like Jesse's presenting his sons and Samuel's like, 
No. Like the awkward tension, like what? Like, and then, okay, well, let me get another one. <laughs> How about this one? Samuel. I mean, there, there would have been some tension, right? No, not this one. Like it's quite disruptive to turn down someone's children. <laughs> and do you know what? And, and I, I, this hasn't really got anything to do with message, but I'm going to share it because this is my heart for the next generation. Um, and I pray this over Liberty and Levi regularly. That when they step into rooms and schools and universities and they have lecturers or teachers that present them with options about marriage, about theology, about God, I want them to carry something in God Come on. Come on. that basically says, nah. Like, like they're good ideas or they might, you know, you might be the culture of the time, it might be suitable, whatever, whatever, but they're so convinced in their spirit that God has a better thing. And, um, and, uh, and that's my prayer for the next generation, that, that they would just have this like, audacity to, to, to stand and be disruptive and, um, and step into rooms and change the atmosphere, turn it on its head. We see it with uh, Josiah at eight years old. Um, there's like false idol worship. It's like eight years old, man. Can you get this? Like he literally, like he literally doesn't anything that represents worshiping other gods, puts it out into the streets, out in the fields for everyone to see. Can you? That changes the culture overnight, and he and he basically burns it. I mean, if it was Liberty, I could see her doing the same thing. Just burn it all, baby. <laughs> Woo! Fire! They're eight years old. No, that doesn't, that doesn't give worship to Yahweh. So we're going to burn it. Like, it's the level of disruption. Um, Moses in Pharaoh's palace. Daniel praying against the oppressive laws time and time again. Individuals disrupting. disrupting. And um, I love it. We, um, uh, we went on a trip a couple uh, months back. And me, Sophie, and my other wives. Sorry, I'm that's, we're going to move on. <laughs> Um, me and Sophie, Liberty and Levi, okay, just us as a family, there's no one else. Um, we're in the car together, we're driving up to Scotland, okay, and we're doing amazingly well so far. So far. We get to the place, okay, where it's about 1.30 in the morning, we're trying to drive through the night because the kids just sleep, okay. We're tra- traveling up to Scotland, which is a trek. You get to Scotland and you're not even really in like you're in Scotland, but you're not really in Scotland. You have to go like another three hours. To, if you know what, if you've done it before, it's like, ah, oh, why tell me that? And then like, at least like when you get to Glasgow, like say welcome to Scotland because you've not just been driving for three hours thinking we're in Scotland. Yeah, we're here. We're not really here. Got another three hours to go. Anyway, we get to this place somewhere in Scotland where apparently they don't have any services. Okay, and Levi wakes up at 1.30 in the morning, and it goes from like peace, calm. Me and Sophie are like. Like, thank you, this is amazing, to then chaos, carnage. Levi is not just like crying, he's screaming, okay? 1.30 in the morning, I'm praying, Jesus, 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 please, please, like whatever it is, looking for a service. And apparently, in that part of the UK, yeah, no word of a lie, for about 45 minutes, there's just nothing. It's like we must have, it's like Levi timed it. We went past the last services, okay, we've gone past it. 
I'm not joking you. Like, seriously, I was like, I was getting so annoyed. I was like, ah. And, um, and Sophie, bless her, she was getting, like, agitated. She was really, like, getting, you know, as a mother would for, for a child. She was just, like, not able to, like, help him out and, and all that kind of thing. And strangely, Liberty is just fast asleep. <laughs> She's chilling. She's having the best sleep of her life. Okay, so we're going, I'm like driving, praying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sophie's like, oh, my boy, my boy. And Levi, bless him. Ah, Liberty. She's out. Okay. Anyways, as we're going through this, and this is just like in the car, okay, it's getting worse and worse and worse. Suddenly, Sophie then screams. Ah! That made you jump. Honestly, that was my reaction, okay? And I was driving, right? She screams, and I'm like, like, like and thankfully, there wasn't many traffic, because I literally like, almost like stop like, in the motorway. Like, it's that kind of level of scream. I'm like, what is it, what is it? <coughs> I look in my mirror, and Liberty's eyes are wide open like this. Right? I'm not joking you. And even Levi stopped crying and he just went looked at Liberty like what's gonna happen next. <laughs> so just to just to recap, I've been praying Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sophie's been like really like agitated, like ah Levi's like ah and then suddenly eyes wide open from Liberty, looking like this, and Levi's looking over going, Huh? Because <laughs> he can kind of like tilt his head now a little bit. And uh, like me and Sophie are like, what's going to happen next? We're all on edge because if she kicks off as well, game over. <laughs> Honestly, I give up at that point. <laughs> like, handbrake up, I am done. <laughs> um, no, anyway. Um, so she opens her eyes and she's like this. And then Sophie just goes, hello, Liberty. <laughs> Wondering what's going to happen, like with fear and trembling. I'm, you're laughing, I'm not joking you. This happened, okay, somewhere in Scotland, in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, and Liberty just goes, hello, mummy. <laughs> and, uh, and me and Sophie, we can't help, we just burst out laughing. Like, we're, cause she, like, we're like, where did this come from? Because she's wide-eyed, she goes, hello, mummy. <laughs> and even Levi's like, what is happening? But strangely, okay, get this, strangely, Levi, somehow, he just gets settled in that she's there. And then he just goes back to sleep. And then she closes her eyes and goes back to sleep. And um, the whole atmosphere, me and so, like, we still have these moments where I'll sneak up and I'll be like, hello, mummy. Um, oh, please. Grow up. Grow up. I don't know if I can recover from that. I can't do a serious moment now. I had a serious moment planned. <coughs> I'm just going to move on. Um, so disruption. So the whole atmosphere changes in a moment. And, and really, the power of disruption, a bit like Liberty saying that, but almost like when we carry, we're praying about this before we even spoke, and Jesus is already moving and speaking. When we declare the name of Jesus, it changes the whole atmosphere. And in fact, like, I'd encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, 
there is enough people in this room. I, I can see heads nodding with me already. Because there's been moments in your life where there's been chaos. There has been like, like, almost like fear and trembling. And when you've called on his name, the thing has changed. Yeah? And if you don't know Jesus, I'd encourage you in this room, okay, that, that, that there will, it's disruptive to call on his name. Okay? It, will, it will change some things. But I promise you there is power in the name of Jesus. Yeah. So, so if there's moments where there's, 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 there's a healing or where there's cancer or illness, Jesus is the name that we call on. Like, I'm not just telling you this because I'm like, oh, you know, it's a good little encouraging message. I've experienced it. I've prayed for those that have had cancer and I've called on the name of Jesus and the cancer has gone. Like, I'm not, I, like there's moments where I've been praying for mental illness, like, like in young people like, with depression and suicidal thoughts. Spoke in Jesus' name. And I've not prayed like incredible, like wildly prayers. Just Jesus. And the depression goes. I'm not, if, you, if you don't know Jesus, if you, if you don't know and you've heard and we're singing about Jesus all the time, like just try it. See what happens. Like it will disrupt your life. It does disrupt you. Jesus was the ultimate disruptor. Jesus disrupted things even before he was born. Like, he was born, uh, Mary and Joseph weren't married. Like, that's disruptive. Can you imagine that moment, like, at working where they're trying to navigate? What? How do we do this? And that there would have been lots of, like, you know, Mary is a 14-year-old girl. That's what they reckon how old she was. Like, finding out that she was pregnant. Like, he disrupted the king at the time because the wise men, who weren't that wise because they went to the wrong place, like went to the temple thinking that that's where they'd find the newborn king. And then suddenly the king gets insecure. Who's this new king I don't know about? There's disruption before Jesus is even born. The ultimate disruptor in Jesus. And do you know what fascinates me the most about Jesus? One of the things that fascinates me, the many things, but one of them is that, do you know that there was over 300 prophecies about Jesus throughout the Old Testament? And Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies in his life and ministry. Like, to even try to do that is really hard. They reckon that, like, it would have been impossible for anyone to, to attempt. Like, if I read through all the prophecies and then tried to live them out, it would have been impossible because the level at which it would have taken other individuals to fulfill those prophecies through Jesus, with Jesus. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies, and yet he was so incredibly disruptive. Like, the level of disruption, like... Whether it's um, with individuals, I'm thinking about John 4, where he encounters the Samaritan woman at the well. A Jew speaking to a Samaritan woman was unheard of. Jesus says, please, can I have a drink? And immediately disrupts the whole, like, outworking of her future. The trajectory of her life is changed because of the disruption of Jesus. And he collect collective groups, Jesus went into the temple literally moved out all of the people that were, that were selling and, and money laundering. He creates a whip, flips the table. And we talk about disrupting an atmosphere. Jesus literally flipping over tables, make, whip, like whipping people out and declaring over a whole group of people, my, my house will be called a house of prayer. Like the level of disruption that he has is like unacceptable to Jesus to allow that to continue. He has to move things out of the room. And... Um, and we've already heard from Colin, which was so, so helpful, about the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit, I think one of the roles of him is to bring about a level of disruption. Like what we do often, so often in church, and we can kind of get comfy and cuddly, like he's going to give you a warm cuddle. And it's true, he does bring comfort, he brings peace, that surpasses all understanding. But let me tell you, when I know the Holy Spirit speaking to me the most, I feel unsettled. Like it, not, not unsettled as in like, but I feel like my flesh is battling within me. Like it, there's a level of like change and transformation that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your heart and in your mind that can be quite disruptive. Yeah, we can get a bit like, oh, not like uncomfortable as in like agitated, but a bit like, well, this is, would be require me doing something different. So I do believe that disruption um, or being a disruptor is one of the things that we're called to as a disciple, lots of Ds, and I've got more Ds to give you because I think there's actually things that prevent us from doing what God wants us to do in disrupting environments, atmospheres, and rooms. And the three things I believe that sometimes can hold us back from the things that God calls us to are, are these things, and they're going to come up on the screen. Um, the first one is, is, is denial. Ultimately, sometimes when we deny who God is, what he can do, firstly, and then secondly, the fact that we deny that he wants to use people like you and me. Like, if you've worked out anything throughout the book of Acts, like, not only is it that the Holy Spirit continues to disrupt individuals, but he continues to disrupt ordinary people like you and me. And the, the problem is, is that sometimes we're not only we can not just deny what God can do, but we deny the fact that God can use people like us. So denial is one of, the, one of the kind of things that prevent us. The other thing, so often the enemy's tactic is to do this, is to create distraction. If he can distract you, like, and whether it's worldly things, you know, money or, or, or your job or your works, anything that will distract you from what God wants you to do, he'll bring it up. Like sometimes just really trivial things. And I know this sounds so stupid, but sometimes just like watching too much TV. It's a distraction. Simple. But if it prevents you from like getting into intimacy with Jesus, it, 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 it's going gonna, it's gonna to prevent us from being a disruptor. It diffuses us. And um, the last one is then when we kind of deny God, deny what, that God can use us, we get distracted. We then disengage. We become disengaged from church. We become disengaged from people. Disengaged from, from you know, everything. That's the run. That's, that's, that's the run. And, and not only uh, is that the run, but, but I think one of the things that we need to lean into is the fact that, that God actually can use you. Like when we try to outwork these things, um, whether, whether it's things have gone wrong in the past, maybe it's like God's tried to use you before and it didn't work out the way you thought it would, it shouldn't prevent you from God using you again. Because God wants to use you to disrupt rooms, environments, workspaces, schools. I actually think that that's the way that things are going to go more and more. That there's going to be like a, a decision that you have to make where you go, am I going to be a disruptor? Like the way that, that, that the world is going, even within the church, the conversations that I'm having around schools and with other, other leaders, I think... You know, if you're not willing to be disruptive, you're probably not willing to be a disciple. Yeah, that's so good. So good. And, um, and I actually think that not only are we called to disrupt rooms physically, but we're called to disrupt um, our thoughts, our, our mindsets. 
I am going to get, I am supposed to be preaching on Acts, by the way. Just realized I've just done this whole backlog on something. We will do it. We will get there, okay? But um, I do think this is really important. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, it urges us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Okay? That's in our thinking. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there's this, like, this ownership that we have to take over our thinking over our emotions. And that means, what that says to me is sometimes I can fall into patterns of thinking that are not God's best. So I have to disrupt those things. Are you with me? Like there's thoughts and feelings that I sometimes fall into the trap of about money and finances or about wealth or fame or pride, whatever it looks like, that I actually have to take ownership over and disrupt. And um, there's this moment in Acts 9, we're here, Dom's stressing. He's like, dude, you better preach on the topic that I'm going to give you. Otherwise, that's the end. I'm not asking you to preach again. <laughs> Acts 9, it tells a story. I'm going to read it really quickly. If you don't know the story, it's, it's about where Peter raises Tabitha from the dead. Um, here's what it says in verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About this time, she became sick and died. Her body was washed and placed in the upstairs room. Lydia, which was near Joppa, okay, if you're looking for how far it was from, uh, from that place, it's about 10 miles, okay? Lydia's not a girl's, it is a girl's name, but it was the place, okay? So it would be the equivalent, if you live in Bournemouth, it would be the equivalent of like walking to Swanage. Okay, so, so Peter walks to Swanage, and then um, <laughs> when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydia, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. And all the widows were stood around him. They were crying. They were showing him the robes, the other clothes that Dorcas had made for them while she was still with them. And Peter said to them, uh, get out of the room. Get out of the room. And he got down on his knees and he prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and he helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known, all known over Joppa. Many people believed in the Lord. I love the fact that Peter walks into the room and he shifts the room. <laughs> you need to leave the room now. Um, because I think <coughs> it's so easy to think about it that um, Peter disrupted the room physically. But I actually think that he did more than that. I actually think he disrupted the room um, emotionally. There was emotion in the room. And, um, and I want to speak about our thought processes because the weeping widows, okay, what they were doing at the time, they, it, says in the Bible, it says in the scripture that they were presenting Peter with the clothes, okay? Now, like they were holding them up, up in his face, almost as though to say, look, she was a good person. And, um, and I think one of the things that, that, that really struck me about this passage is that not only did he change the room physically in terms of moving them out, but I think there was something about within the room that was happening in, in people's thought, process, thought processes, which were saying, like, not just look at her clothes that she made for us. Look how, like, they were saying, she was a good person. She's dead. Why would God allow this to happen? There was an injustice mentality, like a, why do bad things happen to good people? 
mentality. Why do these things happen like all around the world with wars and with children? How can God allow that? And, and the, uh, the word for all loving, um, here's my RE uh, key stage free coming out. Um, what is the word? <laughs> Omnibenevolent. Yes, thank you. Top marks, Lewis. Uh, Omnibenevolent, which, which means that as part of God's character and nature, he is all loving. And do you know one of the things, I teach RE in school with, with different um, year groups, one of the things that students just can't get their head around is that. How can he be all loving? And I think the mentality, I've walked into rooms, not with weeping widows literally, but I've walked into rooms where people have gone, how can God love like that? Seriously. Like, I'll be honest with you. I think there's space to be a little bit vulnerable this morning. I've had that mentality. How can God allow these things to happen? That's not fair. And... um, and there's, other, there's another uh, thing in the scripture that says that as part of the community, they wouldn't have just reflected on that individual who passed, but it was an opportunity for the whole village or town or whatever to reflect on everyone that they'd lost. So when Peter walks into the room, he's not just being presented with these things like, that they're holding on to, saying, look, injustice. But he's also being presented with people that are going, like, look, God keeps on doing bad things to me. Like, as though there was a whole history of hurt and baggage and pain. Peter walks into the room, and not only is there the, the sense of, you know, people feeling like that this is, there's been an injustice, not only are they talking about things of the past, past pains, previous hurts, or loss, or trauma, but there was a noise in the room as well. That is the Bible says that there was like a, a, a crying, weeping sound. And um, I, I want to speak about this because sometimes there can be, in the people that we come across, or even in ourselves, there can be like a noise that outworks in our, in our head that the, that the enemy loves to create insecurity and anxiety. We spoke about it. It's a level of where he wants to distract you. And... Um, and I've experienced this before where there's just like, there can be a noise in your thinking that just feels like it becomes too overwhelming. And, and I love it because what Peter does is he, he disrupts the room. There's everyone out the room. All of the pain from the past. All the injustice mindset that you're clinging on to about how can God allow suffering? How can God allow pain? How can God do this to me and my family? How could God allow these things to happen? How? Why? Peter says, out the room. We read in the scriptures, this is what Peter does. Gets down on his knees and starts to pray. And I'm not, I, I want you to hear my heart when I'm spe- sharing with you this morning. It's not that these things, the weeping widows in our thought processes or in the rooms, environments that we find ourselves, it's not that God doesn't care about those things. He absolutely does. He cares about those things more than you do. But it's important to know the run that, that these things don't prevent us from encountering God. That sometimes these things that we're holding on to so dearly, how, why has this happened? How would God allow this to happen to me, my family, these people? They're good people. 
Sometimes those things can prevent us from experiencing his presence powerfully. And God wants you to take ownership over your thinking. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And so if there's a victim mentality in this room, I want to speak to that and say that has no more ownership over you than Jesus does. In fact, the victim mentality can so sometimes prevent us from encountering God. We sometimes will just almost like, we'll kind of like, we'll, we'll, we'll just live in the space constantly of going, well, God's done this to me. So I'm not going to experience him for myself. Maybe I experienced him in the past, but it's not going to happen again because of this. Like so many times I've spoken to people where they've gone through real pain. And they've gone, well, if God would allow this to happen, there's no more for me. And it's, and it's, it's the enemy that's sowing in lies. And... Um, uh, I don't know if there's someone, I'm going to try and bring this thing to a land. Uh, so, um, and I find it helpful if there's some music just to help me cl- actually close. Otherwise, I will just keep speaking all day. There was, um, uh, I worked with in a school um, and there was a girl at the school that I work in, and she's only 14 years old. And um, one of the things that we do at, jo- at Dorset Youth for Christ, work for a charity that helps young people um, in schools and youth centers and uh, within churches. But this girl, she was, um, basically she was self-harming. And um, we were, I was doing a mentoring session with her. And um, she started to tell me her story. She's 14 years old, and she told me this moment when she was, I think she was eight years old, and she said uh, she was in a, her, her, her father was abusing her mother, and she said to me in the mentoring session, uh, she said, I grabbed my younger brother because uh, at this point he was um, being unkind to his mum, and at eight years, eight years old, she grabbed her younger brother and locked herself in the room and phoned the police. Okay, this is her just telling me her story. And, um, and we're trying to get to the bottom of where she's thinking about self-harming. She's um, like her self-esteem, basically like, you know, you have bad self-esteem some days. I've had them. Yeah, I have some bad days. Hers was like rock bottom. And um, eight years old, she has this horrible trauma that she's telling me. And um, she said, it, I think it was that moment where I didn't feel the same. I think it was this I think it was this moment where the man the man who should have been protecting me was causing me harm. And we had like two sessions, sorry I'm getting emotional. I said to myself, like, dude, everyone's gonna expect me to cry, like don't cry. But um she was saying, like, she was just basically presenting this thing to me. And um, 14 years old, and she, she, uh, couple, we had, like, two sessions, mentoring sessions. Then one day at school, she came, and she said, uh, do you mind if I just, I work in a chapel. It's not really a chapel. It's, a, like, it's an office, 
glorified with like some crosses on it and stuff. Um, she comes to the chapel at the school and she says, do you mind if I just spend time in here? And, um, and I was like, you're just trying to skip from lessons, right? That's what you're doing. She says, no, I just feel a bit overwhelmed in my, th- my thoughts. I was thinking, oh, no, that's not good. Um, and uh, I, had, I was supposed to be teaching and doing other things. I said, I, I actually can't stay here with you. Uh, but, um, yeah, I said, I'm going to just leave you in here. And um, she's just sat in there for a bit. At the end of the day, I came back to the chapel. And on my desk, there was this prayer that she'd prayed. Like She wasn't like, like even a Christian at this point. Um, but she prayed this prayer. And I was literally, as I was reading the prayer, I was just like, like tears streaming down my face. Because basically, it was a prayer of repentance, saying, I'm sorry for the mindsets that I have. And what she was doing, I wasn't even in the room, but she was basically just moving these things out of the room. She got to this space in her own thinking and just started to just like say, God, I'm sorry for these mindsets that have been causing infliction on myself. And then, and then it was great because we were running Youth Alpha, and she came along to the Youth Alpha. And the session, there's a session at Youth Alpha where you do the session on the Holy Spirit. And uh, she says outright in front of everyone, she says, the Holy Spirit's real. We're like, what? She says, I know the Holy Spirit's real because he's met with me. <laughs> and it kind of just says to me, like, if a 14-year-old girl who goes through something that nobody should have to go through, if a 14-year-old girl can take ownership over her own thinking and get that disruptive that says, even though these things have happened to me, nothing can prevent me from experiencing God. Nothing can prevent me from just kneeling at his feet and declaring that he is still worthy of my worship. You know, the thing that's beautiful about the story in the scripture um, is this. I noticed it and it made my heart like so encouraged because in, in the passage it, it says these words when Peter raised the, the dead girl from, from, uh, from the dead he, he, he presented her alive to everyone and then it says in the scripture especially the weeping widows And I, I think there's something that we could easily miss that's, that's this. That sometimes it's important to present those insecurities in our life. Those past pains that are real and painful. And, and, and present the new life. The old is gone and the new has come. There's resurrection power that lives inside of you. Present those things. Well, you know, you might feel like you've been betrayed. You're a new creation. His grace is sufficient for you. 
well, you might feel like, you know, when you, you, you were younger and, and, and all these things happened to you against your family and, and, and there might be things that, that are causing you pain even still today that prevent you from, from truly getting intimate with God. And even still, you can present those things with the fact that there is resurrection power available to you. And I, I just feel that the fact that, that Peter not only just went, da-da, but he kind of was like, no, where are they? Where are the ones that were, that were weeping? I want, I want them to see her alive, that Jesus has done this. And I think it's so important that with our, with our mindsets, that however you're feeling, that sometimes we have to close the door in the room to those things, not ignore them or brush them under the carpet, but we get into it, we, we encounter God. Then when we come back to that space where those, those, those feelings or those emotions are real and we say, look what God has done. Look what he's done. Like I'm not the same. His mercies are new every morning. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm, it feels like I'm just rambling scripture, but I promise you it's not. It's declaring scripture over those things. Like the victim mentality, the mindsets that prevent us from, from progressing in what God has called us to do. And God has called us to be disruptive. And sometimes we have to not just disrupt rooms, we disrupt these things. We take ownership over them. We make them obedient to Christ. The way in which that we do that is we encounter God in spaces. And then when we come to those things, those thoughts and those feelings, we say, look what God has done. Look what he's done.